Take out your outlines in the bulletin this morning. As uh, somebody mentioned, I think it was Lance or was it Tony? Somebody mentioned we're starting a new series today. That was Isaiah. In the book of James. And here's what's cool about this. We don't always do this. It seems like sometimes we'll start the new year off on the same page with the Spanish church. But Mike and I met recently and we decided to do a series on the book of James that will take us at least through the summer probably probably beyond, but the Spanish church is going to be studying the same book of James that we're going to be studying for the next several months, and so it's kind of neat to be on the same page with them. I'm calling this series Developing a Faith That Works, and today I'm going to give you a sort of an overview of the book of James. Short little book, powerful book, just five chapters. But it's probably one of the most practical books in the Bible. As a matter of fact, James doesn't pull any punches. He's very straightforward. And at times you're going to feel that James is getting in your face. Because he just tells it like it is. And as I'm studying this material, I'm once again reminded, I'm not the man I used to be, but I'm not yet the man I want to become. Can you say amen with that, all of us? All right, yeah. So rather than beat ourselves up, let's just try to take a look at an overview of what this book's about. And I'll just cover one chapter and what the kind of the primary uh, picture that they're trying to paint for us in these chapters are today. But before we do that, I want to take a reading from the Apostle Paul. It's up here on the screen, 1 Corinthians 13.11. Apostle Paul writes, well, maybe it's not on the screen. Did I not put that verse up there? If I didn't, it's on my notes. I'll just read it for you. When I was a child, remember this, 1 Corinthians 13? I talked as a child, Paul will say. I thought as a child. I reasoned as a child. And the gist of the verse goes on to say, but then when I became an adult, when I became mature, I put away my childish things. I grew up behind the Rosecrans Drive-In Theater in the city of Paramount, if you know where that is. Before they added on to the theater to make it a three-screen, it just used to be a one-screen, and behind that one-screen in the fence was a deep gully. I don't know how it got there. It was there as long as I can remember. And in the wintertime, when it would rain, it would fill up. And man, we had our own pond. We had our own swimming pool, murky, muddy, but we made rafts. And, and we went out there and floated on those rafts. We thought that was the greatest thing in all the world. And then in the summertime, when it would dry up, uh, we made forts. And that dry dirt that was once so moist made the best dirt clods. And we had dirt clod fights, you know, with the neighborhood kids. That was a whole lot of fun. 
And, and our fort was here and their fort was there. And when they weren't in their fort, we said, you know, let's build little booby traps so no one can sneak up on us. And we dug these deep holes all around our fort. And then we took some newspaper and then we covered those holes and then lightly sprinkled dirt around it so it just looked like regular old dirt. You come coming up on our fort, boom, you're going in our trap. I probably shouldn't have been telling you this, huh? Kids, no ideas, no ideas. And, and looking back on that, years later through the telescope of my mind, I thought that was a whole lot of fun. But you know what? As a 61-year-old, I don't want to do dirt clod fights anymore. I don't want to build forts anymore. There was a time for that, but I've matured. I'm on a different stage of life. I've put away those things. And Paul says, in your Christian life, you know, you did some dumb things here, but it's time to put away some things and grow up in Christ and mature in Christ. God's will for every purpose or person is to get to know him. And once you get to know him, it's to grow in him. Amen? He wants to to sanctify you. You're not the man. You're not the woman you used to be, but you're not the man or the woman you're yet to be. One of the purposes of the church is to help people grow. And so the question I want to ask this morning as we look at the overview of James is, what is maturity? What does he mean by grow? Well, to understand what maturity is, look up here on the screen. You need to understand what it isn't. Uh, Number one, maturity is not age. It's not how old you are. You you can be uh, very, very old physically, but very, very young spiritually. And if you became a Christian, and so I've been a Christian for 20 years, well, if you didn't grow, maybe you only grew the first year. You've been a Christian 20 times, just the first year. Not 20 years, but one year 20 times, because you're the same thing. Number two, maturity is not appearance. Have you ever met people that just look so mature? And so distinguished, you just think they must have it all together, only to find out they really don't. So it's not really your appearance. Number three, it's not even what you've accomplished. Man, you've accomplished so much in your life, you must be a very, really, really, really mature person. No, there are accomplished people all over the world that are still very immature. And then it's not even academics. It doesn't really matter how smart you are. It doesn't matter... Uh, if you've got letters after your name, those degrees are one thing, but maturity is quite another. Case and show them what it is. Here's what the Bible says. God says maturity is determined by your attitude. Now, what's your attitude? Well, it's the mind and attitude of who? Christ. Bruce, can you give me a verse that says that? Oh, yeah. Paul, Philippians. He gives us a verse. Have this mind. What's another word for mind? Attitude. I want to have the attitude of Christ in all circumstances. Have this mind in you, which is also in Christ. Well, how did Jesus uh, handle pressure? One, One of the marks of maturity, there's really five of them. Let's look at the first one. The first mark of maturity is a mature person is positive under pressure. And how did Jesus handle pressure? Let me give you two of the most pressure times in Jesus' life where he held it together. 
You ever been under pressure and you just lost it? Jesus held it together in the Garden of Gethsemane. Think about this. We just took the Lord's Supper. Tony kind of set it up. He just wanted to have a meal with the guys because he knew he was going to go face-to-face with the depths of hell. And I think it started in the garden. They leave the upper room. They cross. Uh, they go down to the Kindron Valley, and they cross the little brook there. They go into this garden called Gethsemane. And Jesus says, okay, you group of guys stay here, watch and pray. Peter, James, John, you come up here a little ways further, you watch and pray. I'm going to go over there, and I'm going to watch and pray. And he's starting to feel. Remember what will he say on the cross? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I believe that process is beginning, and he's starting to feel it. Him who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. He's about to become sin. One who had never sinned in his existence is about to become every sin you've ever committed, every sin I've ever committed, every sin yet to be committed in the world. Talk about pressure, huh? It's about to be in his body. And he starts thinking about this, and he begins to sweat like drops of blood. That's intense pressure. And he says, okay, let's talk this over, Dad. If, if there be any other way, take this cup of suffering from me, I pray. Search eternity. There's got to be another way. I want out of this. And the answer comes back what? No, son. No other way. And that just settled it for Jesus. No, no. I'm not done yet. Come on, Father. Father, if there's any, another, a second time. Same prayer. It's not wrong to pray the same prayer twice. He really wants out of this. His humanness is really beginning to show. No, son, no way out of this. Third time, no, son. You got to do This is the way. We've talked about it. You know this. Okay. Not my will be done, but your will be done. Pressure, maturity. Do you see it? Have you ever done something you really didn't want to do? You manned up, you womaned up, and you said, okay, this is the right thing, this is the godly thing, this is what God's saying do, I'm going to do it. Maturity. And now he's taken from the garden, goes through five trials, kangaroo courts, all is set up. He's beaten, he's whipped, scourged, half dead, crown of thorns, and now he's got to carry that cross through the Via Della Rosa to an ugly place called Skull. And there, they drive nails through his hands, his feet, stand him up, drop him in a hole, and there he hangs, suspended between heaven and hell, and the father continues to pull himself away. And just before the father separates himself because Jesus has become sin, hanging there, thirsty, dehydrated, works up enough saliva to say these words, Father, forgive them, for they don't have a clue what they're doing. Talk about pressure. Talk about maturity. That'd be me up there. God, get these guys. Break their teeth. 
David said one time to his enemies, not Jesus. Wow. How do you handle pressure? A mature person is positive under pressure. James in chapter 1, he says, Consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. Notice, it's in the plural. Trials, plural, not just one. There will be many, and there will be many kinds. You're going to have financial trials. You're going to have relational trials. You're going to have uh, physical trials, health trials. Tony mentioned a number of employment trials. Some of you are underemployed. Some of you are unemployed. You're going to go through trials with your kids. You're going to go trials with your spouses. You're going to go trials in your schools, on the job. You're going to face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith, notice the word testing. This is a test. It's a test of your faith, develops perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work so that you may be, what's the next word? Mature. We're talking about maturity, right? James wants us to grow up and handle the pressures of life. Because when you do, then you're complete. Then you're not lacking anything. And so I ask you this morning, how do you handle the trials that come your way? Are you blown away by the trials? Do they kind of wipe you out? Are you nervous? Are you negative? Do you grumble? Do you gripe? It's a mark of maturity to handle them. And, um, and I think one of the problems is we have this tendency to think that the Christian life means a problem-free life. You ever talk to someone like that? Hey, God, now, most Christians won't say this, but they kind of think this. Now, God, you know, I, I gave my life to you. Uh, I know you died for me, and you saved me, and, and I give my life to you. And uh, I, my job is to come to church and give a tithe and, and eat the Lord's Supper and maybe attend a Bible class, maybe join a ministry. Okay, that's, that's my part. Now, here's the quid pro quo. Your part now is to bless me. In life, my life's supposed to really go good. I know it's not going to be perfect, but you know what? For the most part, there, there needs to be plenty of this and plenty of that and plenty of check to go along with the long months and, you know, all that. No car problems, no, you know, health. We've got cancer. No, 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 no. Quid pro quo. I'm doing my part. You need to do your part. You ever approach God that way? I know one wants to raise their hand on this one, but you know what? We kind of do, don't we? God, this ain't supposed to be happening to me. We got this prid quid pro quo kind of thing going on here. Now, the testing of your faith, many, many trials of various kinds are coming your way. Pass the test, you're mature, you're complete. And I guarantee you, none of you are going to be hanging from a cross saying, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Jesus is our example. And when I look at him on the cross and I look at my problems, and then I look at my eternity that I'm looking forward to going one day, it gives me hope and it says, I want to have the right attitude. When you can face your problems with a good attitude and the trials that come our way with a good attitude, we get extra credit in heaven. What verse says that? I don't know. I just kind of believe that. That kind of comes from the Rokas Revised Version in there somewhere 
But don't you think God gives you extra credit for a good attitude? Now, I mean, there's going to be a lot of times. Mean, there's times that I've done the right thing with the wrong attitude. You know what? I, I remember when I was in school one time, my teacher told me to sit down. And I didn't want to sit down, but I did. But I was standing up on the inside. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. You ever do that with God? Sure. But when we do it with the right attitude, say, yeah. I'm not mature yet, but God, I want to be mature. I want to have the right attitude. James 1 verse 12. Blessed is the man, happy is the man who perseveres under what? Trial. Why? Because when he stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. That's that eternity that I'm talking about. That God has promised to those that love him. Hey, do you love him? Hang in there. Have a good attitude. That's what chapter 1 is all about. That's the overview. We'll go verse by verse once we get the next week, okay? Now, chapter 2. What's chapter 2 all about? Chapter 2 says this. A mature person is sensitive to other people. You not only care about yourself. Yeah, love your neighbor as yourself. We're going to talk about that. You've got to love yourself. But you know what? If this is the circle of your life and you're in the middle of it, you need to put your neighbor there too. Do unto others. Remember the old golden rules. You'd have them do unto you. This is tough enough. Jesus gives a higher standard than that. We'll talk about that another time in another book. But let's just talk about this royal law. James 2 verse 8. If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as what? Yourself. You're doing right. What's that mean? How do I love my neighbor as myself? How do I become a mature person and be sensitive to other people's? Well, I become sensitive to their needs, not just my own. A mature person doesn't just think about themselves. They think about others. A mature person thinks about the hurts of other people and what they're going through. An immature person says, well, I want this and I want that, and I don't care about anybody else but me. Immature. Being Interested in others, the Bible says, is a mark of spiritual maturity. Now, James gets specific in James chapter 2, 1 through 6. And we won't read it. I'm just going to tell you, because we're going to get there. We're going to get there in the weeks to come. He says these things. Don't show favoritism. Parents, if you're showing favoritism to one child or another, big mistake. Don't show favoritism to anybody. James will say, don't be a snob. We've all met snobby people. James says, don't look down on others. James says, don't judge by appearance. How many of us are guilty of doing that? The Bible says, don't insult people. The Bible says, don't exploit people. That's all, James chapter 2, 1 through 6. Why? Because we will be judged on how well we treat other people. You're not going to be judged by how many Bible verses you've memorized. You're not going to be judged by how many worship services you attended. You're not going to be judged by how many Lord's suppers you've eaten. You're going to be judged by how well you treat other people. That's what James says. That's what it boils down to. How loving are you? And then we get to chapter 3. Chapter 3, the big picture there, the big idea of chapter 3, James says, is a mature person has mastered his... You finish it. Mouth. This is a big one, isn't it? How many of you 
have ever said something that as soon as it came out, you regretted it and you wish you could take it back? Can I see your hand? Me too. I remember saying a very, very naughty word, not to my mother. I was mad about something else. And I said it out loud with my mother there. Shouldn't have said it anyway. But my mom was there. And when I saw the surprise on her face, when that word came out of my mouth, I remember I'm just probably a teenager. And the hurt on her face, I'm sure I went white. And in my mind, I was thinking, oh God, if you can turn back time, I would appreciate it, about five seconds. And I want to take that back. But James says, once it's out there, it's out there. Now, you can pick up the glass and you can, you know, try to, that's an illustration I got from Arnold. You know, you break the window, you got to go pick up the glass, you got to fix things, you know, repair the damage, and, you know, try to do all that. So have you. But he's just saying this mouth thing, this tongue thing is a very dangerous thing. Be very, very careful how you use it. James 3, verse 2. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone want to give an amen to that? Sure. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is perfect. Now, the word perfect there in the Greek means mature. He's a mature man. He's a mature woman. Able to keep the whole body in check. If you can keep this in check, you can keep everything else in check. See, when you go to the doctor for a checkup, which I did in May of this year, my doctor said, stick out your tongue. I went, why why does a doctor during a physical make you stick out your tongue? Because your tongue, the doctor knows, is an indication of your overall health. Did you know that? It's one of the reasons they do. They can tell by looking at your tongue. Now, spiritually speaking, James says, stick out your tongue. Because it's an indication of your spiritual health. Get it? Okay. So, he's going to illustrate when we get to chapter 3, your tongue's like a rudder. We won't talk about that this morning. Your tongue is like a bit. In a horse's mouth, picture a big stallion that could just buck you and throw you off and kick you and have his way with you. But because you've got a bit, a little tiny thing, you can keep that stallion under control. And then he says, the tongue is like a spark. What's he mean by that? He goes on to describe, a spark can light a campfire and keep you warm. But a spark can also set off a forest fire and do a whole lot of damage, right? Dangerous thing. You can do blessing with this. You can do cursing with this. How are you going to use your tongue? That's kind of the gist of chapter 3. Well, I just say what's on my mind. James says, you're very immature. You ever have someone say that to you? I just say what's on my mind. James says, you need to grow up and get some tactfulness. Well, that's just the way that I am. James says, stop it. Don't be that way. Right? Didn't I tell you James is going to be a tough book? You want to come back next week? It's just tougher, guys. It's not going to get any easier. But if you want one of the most practical books in the Bible, this is the book to study. 
James 1.26, if anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his, what's the next word? Tongue. He deceives himself. And his religion is worthless. If I never miss a service, if I tithe all my income, and yet I'm a gossip, and I'm insensitive to people, James says, my religion is, you finish it, worthless. Now, don't make the mistake, we may have some immature Christians, and they're like, does that mean my salvation is worthless? He doesn't say your salvation is worthless. He says your religion is worthless. Religion just means your way of life. Religion means this is my way of life, and it it has nothing to do with your salvation. Religion never saved anybody. You've heard me say that many, many times, right? It's not about religion. It's about a relationship. But God is looking at your way of life. You're saved by grace through faith alone. You got that, right? So I don't want anyone to leave here going, oh, boy. Oh, I've done bad. I've used this tongue wrongly. I must not be saved. That's not what James is saying. He's just saying true religion watches the tongue. True religion acts in a certain way. And so the test of maturity is how well do I manage my mouth? So chapter 1, a mature person's positive under pressure. Chapter 2, sensitive to other people. Chapter 3, masters his mouth. Chapter 4, the big idea, the big picture of chapter 4 is a mature person is a peacemaker, not a troublemaker. Which one are you? you? Like to stir up a good fight? Or do you like to make peace? I went to Paramount Junior High School. And almost every day, somebody got in a fight. For the most part, though, they weren't done on the campus. Our junior high school was right next to Paramount Park. See, If you do it while in school on campus, you could get suspended. And no one wanted that. So they would say, after school, at the park. And everybody knew there was going to be a fight today. And I don't know how the word spread, but it just spread. And and I walked home that way. Sometimes. When there was going to be a fight. (laughs) Usually went the other way by the, the dog story I told you about, the junkyard dog. And I remember everyone kind of gets in a circle, and the two people hop in the middle. You, 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 you know what I'm talking about? Anybody grow up in Paramount like me or maybe someplace else? They square off, but nobody throws a punch. And then there's always the guys in the front row of the circle. You know, I'm like, I was a little guy. And they're egging them on. Hey, he said this about you. And he said, come on, guys, fight, fight, fight. And they're egging them on. And most of the time they want to fight, but I've seen a few times when you could tell these two guys really didn't want to fight. And they really wanted to make peace. They wanted, hey, you know, I'm sorry. I wish I wouldn't have come to this. You know, let's just, you know, go have a Coke and talk it over and shake hands and be friends. And, and yet the pressure was so strong by the troublemakers that they couldn't get out of it. Who are you 
the guy that says, hey, let's break it up. Let these two guys work it out. Leave them alone. Or are you the guy egging them on? Fight, fight, fight. In families, in churches. Hey, you know what so-and-so said about you? Fight, fight, fight. Immaturity. James says, don't do that. James 4, verse 1. What causes fights and quarrels among you? In other words, where does all this conflict come from? Don't they come from the desires that battle within you? Why is there so much conflict in the world and in marriages and in the workplace, among friends and neighborhoods, among Christians, in the home, in the church, in the nation? Unchecked desires. I want what I want, when I want it, and I want it now. And I want it my way. Unchecked desires. Now, there's two sources of conflicts. Two sources of conflict. Number one, in verses 2 to 3 of chapter 4, he says selfishness. Verse 3, he says, when you ask, you do not receive. Why? Because you ask with the wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. That's just selfishness. Don't be selfish. And then the second thing he says, the second source of conflict, is in verses 11 and 12. Judgmentalism. Brothers, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. There is only one lawgiver. And it's not you. Who is it? It's God who is able to save and destroy. That's God. Who's able to do that? But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Good question. I'm nobody. I'm nobody. I need to leave that to God. God says, you don't judge people. Three reasons why you don't. Because you're not God. You're not the judge. And and when you judge, guess what you're doing? You're playing God. The second reason he says is, I'm the only one with the facts. God's the only one with the facts, not you. You don't know all the facts. And number three, it's kind of close to it. God only knows the true motives, all the motives. God knows the heart. He knew the intent of the action, the attitude of the action, what led up to the action. And you may not be privy to any of that. All you saw was the action, and you judge based on that. And that's not the way to go. So, chapter 1, positive under pressure. Chapter 2, sensitive to other people. Chapter 3, masters his mouth. Chapter 4, mature peacemaker and not a troublemaker. And now chapter 5, we'll wrap it up with this. A mature person is patient and prayerful. Patient and prayerful. Did you know that the word patient is used four times in five chapters of the book of James? Did you know that the word prayer is used seven times in five little chapters of the book of James. I get the idea that patience and prayer go together, don't you? And James is going to basically say, on your journey in life, you're going to fall down. And you're going to skin your knees and sometimes your elbows. Sometimes your hands. Sometimes 
my wife fell roller skating with our youth group one time, broke her wrist. She was in a cast for a long time. You're going to get hurt, but keep on getting up. That's patience, right? But God, it hurts. I know it hurts. Get up. God, I don't feel like it. Get up. How many of you feel like coming to church this morning? Am I the only one? Jeez. Aren't you glad you came? <laughs> Some of you had a rough week. I mean, Marsha, we've been praying for your daughter-in-law. Terrible accident. Leg filleted. Surgery after surgery. It's tired. Some of you said, you know, some of you were up all night. I know my household, at least four times we got up. Some issues. Glad I'm here. Glad I'm with you. Patience, prayer, keep getting up. How many of you ever went through a setback? All right. How many of you have done a comeback? Yeah. For every setback, there's a comeback. That, that's what the book of James is like. That's a practical book. You know, I want to kind of have a good pout and have a good breakdown and get it all out and don't want to get back up. But God says, no, it can't be that way. You've got to keep getting up. When you get knocked down, you get up. Patience, prayer, go together. James 5, 7. Be patient then, brethren, until the Lord's coming. As you know, we consider blessed those who persevere. And he's going to give some illustrations of that. Chapter 5, verse 16. The prayer of a righteous man or woman, it's the generic word there for man, is powerful and effective. James 5, 7. Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. And then he illustrates, see, the farmer, what does the farmers do? They wait. You know, they don't plant a seed and tomorrow the crop comes in. If anyone knows anything about patience, it's who? Farmers. They've got to be patient. They depend on the weather. They depend on all that stuff. For the land to yield its valuable crop. How patient he is for all the fall and the spring rain. You too, be patient, stand firm, because the Lord's coming is what? Near. Farmers plant. Farmers pray. Farmers hope. Farmers wait. Kind of sounds like the Christian life, doesn't it? That's us. It's a great illustration. There's no overnight crops and there's no instant maturity. Just like the farmer, we too have to wait. Now, we need to learn the difference, though, between no and not yet. No and not yet. Five-year-old Corey asked me one day, Daddy, can I drive the car? And I said, I did not say no. You know what I said? Not yet. Because one day I wanted him to drive the car. I said, but first you've got to grow up. Your feet have got to touch the pedals. And you've got to take driving school. And then you've got to take a driving test. And if you pass the test, and if you're patient, then you can drive the car. And today he's driving the car, and so are you. And you know how that goes, right? 
We don't say no, we say not yet. And God's saying, some of you have asked for some things. Daddy, can I X, Y, and Z, you fill in the blank. Right? And we've all maybe asked for some really immature stuff. (laughs) And God's saying, not yet. You're not mature enough to handle that. And if God would have gave you that, you'd look back and go, oh, what was I thinking? Why did God say yes to that prayer? Oh, and we have memories of those things too. So God's delays are not God's denials. We just need to be ready for them. Let's wrap this thing up. What are the tests of life? How do you handle problems? How sensitive are you to people? Can you manage your mouth? Are you a troublemaker? Are you a peacemaker? And how long can you wait for an answer from God? Rate yourself in those areas. And then we'll talk about it in the weeks to come. Close with one more verse, James 5.16. He's talking about prayer, and he ends with this. The prayer of a righteous man is what? Powerful and effective. So hang in tough. Think we ought to pray about this book before we enter into detail next week? All right, let's bow our heads, and let's pray about it. I got to admit, this hasn't been an easy message for me to even hear. And I've been dealing with it all week. But it's one we need. In this moment of quietness, let's uh, do a little personal evaluation. It, it doesn't really matter what anyone else thinks about you. It matters what God thinks about you. And you know, I can fool you and you can fool me, but none of us can fool God. And so... Ask yourself, as we break these chapters down one more time, how do you rate your maturity? In chapter 1, James says, are you positive under pressure? You know, some of you need to pray, God, change my attitude from griping to gratefulness. Help me to be positive under pressure. In chapter 2, he asks, are you sensitive to others? Some of you need to say, Lord, please forgive me because I've not been real sensitive to my wife. She'll talk and I tune her out. I'll read the paper. I'll watch TV. I don't even listen to her because I'm too caught up in my own little world to care about her world. Some of you may need to say, Lord, please forgive me for being insensitive to my kids. Help me to realize that they're just kids. Help me to quit expecting them to act mature when I don't even act mature all the time. Help me to be sensitive to their needs and their hurts and their problems. Some of you wives need to say, Lord, help me to be sensitive to my husband and the pressures that he's under. You know, he goes to work and he's got these difficulties handling pressure here and there. You know, help me you know, maybe not to load more on him when he comes home from work, but to try to find the right time and the right way to share our mutual needs. Chapter 3, have you learned to master your mouth? Some of you need to say, God, I am sorry because I've been a gossip. I've spread rumors. I've talked behind backs. Help me to watch my speech and only speak that which builds up. Chapter 4, are you a peacemaker or a troublemaker? God, you know I have a temper. Help me with that, some may say. Lord, you know that it's very easy for me to judge other people. Help me to leave that to you. And then chapter 5, are you patient and are you prayerful about life? Some of you have been waiting for a long time for an answer to prayer, maybe for a change in your circumstances, maybe for a healing of some kind. Say, make me a patient, prayerful person.
person. Heavenly Father, thank you for the book of James. It's such a practical manual on Christian living. Thank you that it deals not with theory, but with the areas that all of us need to work on. Our attitudes, our actions, our words, our thoughts, and our relationships. Help us to mature, grow, and be like you. In Jesus' name, amen.